0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 19 of Mike Check on Sports. I'm Steve Napolitani. Well, it looks like the foursome of Woods, Mickelson, Brady, and Manning is happening. As good as the last dance has been, it's time for some real sports on TV. My next guest is one of the greatest defensemen in NHL history. He was the first American to win the Smythe Trophy, and he's pretty much the answer to every trivia question on our Rangers broadcast. It's Hall of Famer Brian Leach. Brian, how are you?
1: Good, Steve. Good to hear from you.
0: Yeah, good to hear from you as well. Uh, a lot of downtime these days. How, how are you spending your time?
1: Well, right when the NHL season canceled, you know, I was with the Rangers there in that advisory role, and so then I went back to my home in Boston, and all the kids' uh, sports were getting canceled, and my kids, ironically, were starting their um, two-week March spring break that they have, so we were, my wife was planning on coming to Florida with them anyway, and um, so two of them left with her right away and I stayed a little longer with my, uh, college age son until, uh, he was ready to go down and, and do his online classes down in Florida. So we had a couple, couple weeks of trying to figure everything out and then, uh, you know, they're back to online schooling and we've just stayed down here in Florida.
0: Very nice. Now I started this podcast to kind of get to know people a little more, and, you know, you were born in Corpus, Corpus Christi, Texas. But grew up in Connecticut. At what right. age? At what age did you start playing hockey, and and was it a love for you right away?
1: Yeah, my dad had played um, in college, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, joined the the uh, Navy and became a uh, a pilot in the Navy, and then uh, flew com- commercially too. And so we moved around a bunch earlier. I was born at a naval base and. Texas we lived in California state of Washington but basically I was I grew up in Connecticut since I was six years old and started skating right around that time five and a half six.
0: Was there any coach or someone who kind of inspired you along the way or, or kept you into Well
1: it? like most uh, most hockey players your parents play such a significant role all the early times when uh, you know when you first starting out for the younger kids and getting mm-hmm. up early and they equipment costs, so my dad was either, most of the time, an assistant coach with uh, all my teams, and um, then it was just the neighborhood kids that I grew up playing with, and we all enjoyed it, so it was a a group activity, and and one that I, you know, I I enjoyed right from the beginning, but I also played baseball regularly, and we Mm -hmm. did all the activities in the neighborhood, you know, from going pond fishing, and street hockey, and basketball, football, everything. So we didn't have all the uh, video games and all the TV cable channels. So we were outside all the time when we could.
0: And, you know, it wasn't like it was now. I mean, you didn't play hockey 11, 12 months out of the year. Did you or baseball or was it kind of spread out?
1: No, I played baseball and uh, there was an opportunity um, as I got into eighth, ninth, tenth grade for sure to play much more hockey and people would ask my dad if I could play on different teams. And he'd asked me, I said, no, dad, I'm going to play in this summer baseball league and I don't want to be going into the rinks all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I was lucky, like the, the youth hockey team that I played on in Connecticut um, traveled a lot. We played, you know, 50, 60 games all throughout the Northeast. So we were gone every weekend. So that was enough for me at that time.
0: And then you started at Cheshire High School in Connecticut, but that ring closed, switched to an all-boys uh, boarding school called Avon Old Farms in Connecticut. I know it was only about a half hour away, but was it a difficult decision at the time?
1: Yeah, it was really tough. I was uh, enjoying my my high school experience and, you know, making the varsity teams and baseball and and hockey, you know, allows you to be friends with some of the juniors and seniors who you look up to at that stage. And then going to an all boys school and moving away from home and wearing a coat and tie and having study hall and you know ha- having a job to clean dishes and stuff every friday or sweep floors every thursday it was it was really difficult my junior year but by senior year i got used to it and i knew i had one more year left before going to, uh, to college so my senior year was uh, much more enjoyable
0: was there a part during the junior year you thought Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'll head back home. Or
1: (laughs) no, because there wasn't much choice. We didn't have a we didn't have a sports you know hockey team. And I wanted to keep playing. And I thought if I kept progressing, I might have a chance at a college scholarship. And I knew that was important in our family. And uh, my parents were still getting help to to send me to prep school, but that uh, you know would be a big expense if I wanted to play athletics or go to a good college without a scholarship.
0: Mm-hmm. And then at two years at Old uh, Avon Old Farms, you played in fifty-four games, seventy goals, ninety assists. Did you ever think you shouldn't be playing defense? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I figured it out pretty early that I used to play forward when I was younger, but we always had three lines or three lines and an extra player, and there was always only three or four D. And so I'm like, I think I could still get up ice from playing more and having more opportunities. So mm-hmm. I asked, I asked if I could move back and I just found it easier um, to see the play. It was all in front of you. I'd played enough forward to kind of anticipate what a lot of forwards were trying to do. And uh, I also, the biggest thing is I got more ice time and I really enjoyed that. So that was, that was when my, my career really took the jump was that sophomore, junior and, and senior year of high school.
0: Did you watch a lot of hockey growing up or was like the vision of the game just more of a natural thing for you?
1: No, I didn't really. Um, We didn't, we were kind of in Connecticut where we were. We were Mm -hmm. right between, you know, um, New New York City sports channels and Boston sports channels. So when the Whalers came into the WHA, we'd see some of those games a little bit on TV or we'd go see a few of them or we'd go see a minor league team that was in New Haven, um, Connecticut, or we'd go to Yale University, but not a lot on TV, and I didn't really have a lot of favorite teams or players till I really started watching the Bruins when we got their local telecasts and started watching Ray Bork, and, you know, that was probably by my junior, senior year of high school, and wow. I just really enjoyed watching him.
0: And then you were drafted ninth overall in the 1986 draft. Uh, you decided to go to Boston College, though. Before that, but first off, if you're a high school kid in the first round. That just didn't happen. I mean, how did you prepare for that that moment?
1: There is no preparation. There's, uh, you know, no expectation. There's no, there's no combines like there is now. There's not as much vetting by the teams as there is now with the interview process. So, I had a few teams come in, uh, you know, administer tests or mail you like SAT tests that you fill in all these different answers and then you send them back. And some of the, the area scouts took me out to, uh, to get a bite to eat, just to get to know me. And so it was a, a very different process back then. And mm-hmm. the Rangers did actually send the area scout to talk to me um, a little bit before the draft, Ray Clearwater was his name. Mm-hmm. And I met him halfway um, and then he drove me the rest of the way to the practice facility in Rye, just did a little bit of test off-ice testing and um, met some of the training staff and people that were around. But really, there was... Central Scouting had me ranked somewhere from the middle of the first round to the top of the second round. Mm -hmm. So really when it came to the Rangers um number my dad kind of looked at me and said you never know they at <laughs> least took you out they took you up to the practice ring he goes from here on out you never know what could happen right and uh so it was funny when we heard the name you know when your name's announced it was at the Montreal Forum and mm-hmm. um you know it was kind of a blur I got to I had watched the other eight players them get, get up and go down so I I at least understood what to do <laughs> and, and where to go. But it, it definitely was a blur. And whenever I see my draft photo, uh, <laughs> we're there with Craig Patrick. Like, I, I really to this day don't remember it live. Like, when I in my memory, I, I only have it from that picture. Really? and But I can't remember that walk up and really what happened afterwards.
0: So what was the decision to go to Boston College for a year?
1: Well, number one, I had uh, a good friend um from my school that I was at at Avon at the time going as well mm-hmm. and uh, he could be we could be roommates together so that was easy. I had a couple of good friends that had gone there the year before and my dad had gone to BC um, before me and became an all-American in 63 so I had I looked at a few other schools but after taking a few visits and I knew my preference was to go there anyway and so, that was an easy choice uh, about where to go. And then the next, you know, hopefully stepping block was making that 88 Olympic team. Mm -hmm. So the summer after freshman year, they had a a tryout process in the summer where they, they picked about 40 players to go on a national travel team. And then they uh, would slowly cut during the the process. So I made that initial uh, 40 players and, So, you have to take the year off of school. And uh, we just traveled for six and a half, seven straight months of uh, hockey. We played all the college teams. We went to Europe a few times. We Mm. played NHL teams during their exhibition schedule. We actually played the the Rangers uh, as one of the exhibition games. Play them at the garden? uh, We did, yeah. So, I remember Pierre LaRouche. Wishing me luck in the handshake line, and oh, that's cool. said, uh, yeah, saying I hope I get to play with you. And so that was all like um, an unbelievable n- another building block. Just like my high school years were college, I made a slight progression, and then that year of training with the Olympic team and playing, you know, the competition and the off-ice conditioning and all that uh, really allowed me to be ready for the NHL.
0: You know, you are one of 10 American men's ice hockey players complete to compete in three or more Olympics. Besides the hockey, I mean, how much did it mean to you to represent your country?
1: Great, great experience. I mean, it, it never got old, but those first times playing for world junior teams, you know, under 20, I played in a uh, an under 18 as a 17-year-old, and we played the three-game series against... Canadians of the same age and Adam Graves was on that team and they 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 just pounded us every game they, they all three games and um, I felt like I was skating around for my life out there because they were, they were playing at a different level than I was at that point but you know as was the first time I had a USA jersey on and you know you're you're only a few years removed from you know 1980 and the 1980 Olympic team. And so all that was just so special. And we were always looked at as such underdogs and, you know, all these tournaments and all these games that, you know, I felt like as my NHL career progressed and then my opportunities with USA hockey progressed more and more um, times we kept rising up as Mm -hmm. not the favorite, but all of a sudden we went from being picked to finish Seventh or sixth, their eighth, to you know that the Americans have a chance to get on the podium or mm-hmm. the Americans might have a chance to get to the, you know, the, the medal round or something like that. So it was a, a tremendous experience all the way along.
0: And then you made your NHL debut following the 88 Olympics, February 29th, 1988. What do you remember from that night?
1: Well, I, I had, the Olympics were in Calgary, so mm-hmm. I had flown – back to New York, and then got a, uh, a bus to Connecticut and picked up some clothes, because my parents were still in Calgary, you know, picked up some clothes, had to convince someone to let rent me a car, because I was, you know, I was only 19 years old, and <laughs> you're supposed to be, so one of the <laughs> local deal, yeah, one of the local <laughs> coaches knew a guy at the dealership, so he's he said, All right, you vouch for him. Like, you'll cover if something goes wrong. <laughs> and, like, Yeah, I'll cover. So I drove back, got to the hotel they told me to to in Armonk, New York. And then they said, uh, Go introduce yourself to Mark Hardy. He's at, staying at the hotel too, and he'll give you a ride to practice. He just got traded, I believe, from LA. And this was all by phone. So I, I did what they said <laughs> I went and introduced myself to Mark. And he's like, He's staring at me, and he goes, oh, all right, come on in, come on in. I just got him on a phone call, and then he asked me a few questions and said, yeah, yeah, come on, Let's, uh, we'll go in the morning. I'll meet me in the lobby at this time. So we had to practice. I think I had two practices or one practice in a morning skate. And then I went down. I just couldn't believe when I walked into the garden. I walked into the locker room, and there's the New York Rangers jersey. With my, you know, with number two Mm -hmm. and Leach on it, you know, just overwhelming. I couldn't believe it. It was shocking. I'm standing on the bench for the anthem and, you know, people are cheering like they used to there during the anthem. And it was uh, loud and uh, just, you know, amazing, just an amazing memory. And that one, at least I remember. Mm -hmm. I I don't really remember the uh, draft day, but that was a real special time.
0: Where did the number two come from?
1: Just, you know, a couple of, when I was younger, I used to play up um, a year ahead Mm -hmm. every other year. And so they always gave numbers out by, you know, who was the oldest and they got to pick first. So number two was always just laying around. Mm -hmm. So I just uh, always took the one nobody wanted and just was able to stay with it. A couple of years in high school, someone had number two that was older and I wore five, but, um, I guess Tommy Laidlaw had just gotten traded uh, before I got there, and he had worn number two. So Phil Esposito was the GM at the time, and remember he came to see a game when we were in the area, and he said, "Well, you want to be, you want number two? And I said, sure. I said, I'll take, I said, I'll take any number. Though. He goes, well, we, we'll save it for you. We'll save it for you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe Phil Esposito just said he's going to save me a number. <laughs>
0: that would be so surreal. Oh, my God. You know, you talk about that first time you walked in the locker room. I heard Ron Grashner say, he, quote, unquote, he walked into the locker room and I said to James Patrick, what? This is not going to be good. <laughs>
1: That's a true story. He's told me that a few times. So, you... Told other other people in front of me. He goes. He goes. He looks at James and said, we spent a first round pick on that kid.
0: <laughs> were, were you concerned about your size and weight at the time when he entered the league?
1: Uh, not really, because of that year with the Olympic team. Right. You know, I knew I knew I could compete, and you know, it's the the Olympics were a great experience. And I thought I was ready. I felt comfortable. Um, against the NHL players, even though they were in training camp and we'd been skating for a few months Um, at the time. I I felt like, you know, I was ready uh, to make that jump. And then like uh, Gresh always says too, he goes, he walked in, but he goes, And I saw him on the ice doing crossover drills and passing the puck and everything. And then I said, Oh, maybe, maybe we are going to be okay.
0: (laughs) I said, I, that was the next thing I was going to say. After 10 minutes on the ice, I said, watch out. There wasn't anything Brian Leach couldn't do. (laughs) Oh boy. Fast fast forward to the 91, 92 season. You're going to have 22 goals, 80 assists, 102 points. And you win your first Norris trophy for the league's top defenseman. I mean, these are forwards who, Numbers who play in the NHL for years who don't get these numbers. What, what was so magical about that season?
1: Well, I think that was the year that uh, Roger Nielsen put, um, he played uh, myself and Bookaboom a lot with Messier's line. Mm-hmm. We like, we, om- we almost went out, I'd say, 80 to 90% of five on five play with that line. And, you know, Mess is so great. Mm-hmm. Gravy's, you know, a Beast getting the puck back and screening the goalies and, and uh, whoever they would put on the wing um, at the time, you know, would benefit from playing with those two guys so it made for, for a much more um, more chemistry you're playing with the best players on the team more often and then you're out there for every power play, a lot of times they said if you feel okay stay out for two minutes on the power play <laughs> so you get it you, you pick up a lot of extra points in the power play just trying to get it through cuz Gravy's in front of the net so mm-hmm. i'd say that's why i had you know the most points uh, would be that season when you're when they're mixing you around and sometimes you're playing against the other team's top lines and you're with the checking line the offensive chances are going to be less so i attribute it to that playing with better players more often and you know being out there for the power play uh, the majority of the time
0: what made that chemistry with Jeff Bukaboom so so well?
1: Well, because all I had to do was convince the guy coming down on me not to go wide and to go to the middle. And then Buk would come through and and it would be a yard sale, like Richter <laughs> would say. There would be gloves and helmets going everywhere. And <laughs> I'd just pick up the puck, you know, that was laying there and go from there. But um, I think Buk was great because of that. You know, the game was definitely different there and there was mm-hmm. – a lot more toughness and when hitting and, you know, the, the refing was uh, a lot looser and the things that were called and weren't called. So to have someone that, uh, you know, that looked at their value to the team as providing all those things, while I could uh, try and be the guy that got up the ice and moved the puck or, you know, was able to, to get up and, and make a play or in a step to play knowing that I had a Safety valve there. I think that was uh, a big part of it, and you know he could, he always played his best in the big games, which mm-hmm. was you know like whenever we play Philadelphia or we'd have you know big game against the Penguins, Riley. Really, those were his best games. If we were winning and blowing someone out, you know, Book might not look as good. Or you might not notice him because the other team wasn't putting the pressure on. Mm-hmm. But when we got when we got into those physical battles and it was tight, tough games, man. Five on five, and penalty kill. He was not fun to play against.
0: Then we get to the 93-94 season. Was there a change of culture that year in the room that really made things become what they did become?
1: Uh, which year, Steve? Uh, Sorry. 93-94. Um, no, I don't think it was culture change. You know, Mark had done a great job um, the day he came in, um, creating that environment. Um, right from the get-go um so i think you know mike keenan has a different style for sure i think most of the players were somewhat prepared after you know hearing about his reputation through the years um and when he came in you know some of us uh it was different than we expected and a lot of guys it was to them it was as expected so Mm -hmm. you know there was there was definitely some uh a learning curve when it came to getting used to a new coach. But we had great leadership. Um, we had one of the best players in, in Mark. You know, we had great goaltending. And we had uh, Sergei Zuboff just breaking on, having his breakout year. So I I just think there was good players that, you know, we, we worked hard. And you know, two years before that, we were presence trophy winners mm-hmm. too. And, you know, we took a huge step back the next year, and I went through some injury issues. A lot of injuries, then, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then we, you know, we had a good summer to get ready, and I was healthy that summer to be ready. And so you know, we struggled a little at the beginning, but then we got off and running, and, you know, we felt like we were back to where we should be.
0: Was there a point where you said to yourself or to maybe Mark Messier, like, this could this could be something special here?
1: Well, I think we felt that the two previous years. Right. Like we felt, you know, Mark Mark was an immediate difference maker, attitude wise and just confidence wise to everyone in that room. You just looked, you know, at the stall next to you or someone would look across and there's Mark Messier. I mean, we'd all seen him win five Stanley Cups and MVPs and be heart, and soul guy, toughness, and now he's wearing a Ranger jersey and he's doing the same thing for you. So it's. It's hard not to fall in line, and it's hard not to try and – I mean, Mark does a great job of not – he makes you accountable so that you don't want to let him down. I think that's what great leaders do. Mm-hmm. They don't lambaste you and tell you what you're doing wrong or whatever. They, they lead, they do the right things, and then they do it on the ice, and you know, they pat you on the back when you do something right, but then they, they make you feel like you don't want to let that person down. I think that transfers to good coaches, too. And, um, but Mark was excellent at that. So I, I just think that was uh, a carryover where we believed we should be. And in December that year, I think we went on a, a, a good winning streak or we had some ties in there, but Mike Richter didn't lose for 15 or 18 games. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, December, I think we kind of hit our stride.
0: Yeah, I heard you say, I believe it was during your Hall of Fame speech, that mark messier's had the biggest influence on you outside your parents as a player and a person. What made your guys' relationship so special off the ice as well
1: Well I, I think we have uh, very similar personalities, even though you wouldn't look you wouldn't look from the outside like that even when we've done all these team building uh, at, 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 you know kind of the get togethers that we've done over the years and you fill out these questions and then they Split you into different groups, and then you got to do more questions. They split you into smaller groups, <laughs> and I and I always end up in like a group of four with Mark, and he just laughs when he, uh, <laughs> you know, we all walk into the door at different times because our split up groups are all in different rooms, and then he come walking in and sign us, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's pretty funny that our personalities, the way we look at things, are very similar. But um, now there was a guy that for me. That had done it already. You know, he'd been in the league for 10 years, 11 years longer than I had at that point, even though he was only eight years older than me. Mm-hmm. And he'd, he'd had success. He was able to, to tell me stories about when he was 18 and 19 and, you know, the learning experiences he went through, things that Wayne Gretzky went through, um, the mistakes they made and the lessons they learned. and he never said this is how it's supposed to be done. He was just, you know, giving him, giving me life experiences that he's been through, mm-hmm. and then his his approach to to teammates, to support staff, management, you know, wives and girlfriends, and the inclusion and the way he treated his family, and um, it was really it was really a fun thing to watch from the outside, and something that I wanted to incorporate into my life and into my game about the way um, he treated people and about the way he went or about both on and off the ice.
0: Hmm. So you guys end the 54-year drought by winning the Stanley Cup. You're named the first American-born player to win the Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP. Did you realize the impact of that at the time, of the winning the Conn Smythe?
1: Um, yes, because it was, it gets talked about in New York so much, mm-hmm. you know, so as, as we're getting into the semifinals and finals, there's always articles about where each team stands and speculations about what's going to happen. And, you know, as a player, we all read the articles and see what's going on. Cause we have a lot of downtime during the playoffs as you're waiting in between and your practices are shorter and there's just a lot of rest time as you're preparing. And uh, it, it's it's nothing you really think about accomplishing because it's how hard it is to actually get to the finals and then win the finals. So that's really where your, uh, where your worry goes into and your excitement about thinking about winning goes into. So uh, when it happened, it was great. It was a nice. Um, I'm certainly proud to have that distinction. But like I said to Mark right after, um, we won, and they, Barry Watkins, our longtime PR um, guy with the Rangers, came and said, Leach, you got to go accept the Conn Smythe. And so I said, hold on a second. I went to Mess. I said, Mess, can the whole team come up and get the uh, – hmm. and he goes, "He goes, no, no, no. He put his arm. He said, he played great. He goes, you won. We'll celebrate with the cup in a, in a, in a minute. And so uh, <laughs> I went great. up there. and Yeah, I got the – grabbed the Smite, I picked it up, took a picture, put it down, and then I think I picked it up one more time uh, during the parade, but otherwise I never picked up the real trophy again. You can't win with an individual. i was certainly proud of the award, but, um, you know, it's it's something that you win with the team, and the fact you get recognized as a player is nice, and that the first American I'm proud of, uh, but I'm certainly more proud of being a part member of that team
0: and then you get to parade day. Was it everything you'd imagine more? I mean, that, that was crazy.
1: No, it's the one thing I think most of us would say that it was beyond our expectations. And if we could just, if we could have one day over, I think we'd take that day over the game seven victory. <laughs> I think we, as we were all so tired and beaten up over the game seven win and the two months, but a couple days of rest and then, you know, we, it, uh, just it's amazing the New Yorkers came out the uh, warm weather the roar of the cr- the crowd coming down the canyon as they you know the procession starting and it, it was like being next to the ocean but we didn't know what it was but it was as we started the procession they all started cheering and the noise started rocketing down hmm. the, uh, the streets and amazing I mean that went by quicker than I imagine it's probably a 45-minute or hour parade, but it felt like 10 seconds. It was oh. awesome, awesome.
0: I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Is there another season after 94 where you look back and it kind of eats at you and you say, man, that could have been another cup-winning team?
1: Um, yeah, you always would like a few of those years to have some of the same players back, but we kept trying to find that right mix again. Mm-hmm and um, you know a lot of them didn't work we tried to take players from you know other teams that played certain roles and then allow them to play you know try and move them into a different position or into a second line a third line player up to the second line or second down to third and we just had a lot of times there when we weren't quite set up like a team needed to be to at least advance far into the playoffs but You know, injuries played a part when 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 Gretzky was here, and you know we ran into that Flyers team, and we were banged up, and we lost a couple overtime games, and that would have been quite a year to uh, go to the finals with Mm -hmm. both Mark and Mark and Wayne on that team, and you know a healthy uh, a team behind us, we could have had an opportunity there.
0: Then you get to the two thousand three two thousand four season. How much did the rumors weigh on you during the season? Known you know, you didn't have much control of staying in the place you wanted to be.
1: Um, yeah, no, I, it's not something I go into too much depth with because there's uh, some things that go on behind the scenes that, uh, you know, I, I don't like talking about. So um, I didn't think I was going. Nobody had talked to me about anything. and um, You know, rumors, I'd been in rumors before and so, I just I said, until someone comes and says to me, "This is the direction we're going, I just assume that uh you know that I'd be there um, so I, I was shocked and really you know deeply hurt um, the way it happened and when it did happen
0: and then you get to Toronto now you're in the playoffs was Was it good to be in the playoffs again
1: well it it made me think of just talking to you about walking into Madison Square Garden the first time. Mm-hmm. And you think, you know, you played enough uh, hockey in the NHL. I was 36 years old. I actually got traded on my 36th birthday. Um, but walking into um, to Maple Leafs locker room, and they have such a classic jersey just like mm-hmm. the Rangers do. And Wade Belock um, had number two at the time. And I never had to ask him. You know, I never called them. I was going to take whatever number was available, but – you know, the, the John Ferguson was the GM. He never mentioned anything to me about what, what number, asking what number I wanted. And he had, he gave it up, you know, the, the moment I got traded, I guess. And so that was, I, I was the first one in the locker room for the morning skate um, that my first game the next day after being traded. and I wanted to meet everybody as they were coming in because mm-hmm. I only, only knew about a quarter of the team. And I was also nervous, and so there was nothing I could do except for, might as well get to the rink early and start getting prepared and then meet everybody as they came in. So uh, it was a veteran team. They, they treat players as an organization just like the Rangers do, top-notch from all their travel to their locker rooms, their setups with everybody, um, training staff, all very respectful. And they're a veteran team so it was really very seamless uh, from that regard and and a lot of fun it was my first experience with that type of fandom for um a hockey team you know it was kind of be kind of be like the the Yankees i would assume right. or you know a giants player and we have diehard hockey fans but we're you know our hockey fan group is small compared to what it's like in toronto so I don't know if it would be as fun to play in, in that atmosphere for a, a, a long time and not be successful, but uh, and I, it was a real honeymoon period for me because I only had the 17 regular season games and two two month two two rounds of playoffs. So we had Glenn Healy as one of the main announcers on the Canadian Sports Network, or, and we had Nick Kiprios both. Two guys from our 94 team doing, doing announcing. We had Neil Smith as a guest announcer. So, you know, these guys would do nothing but build me up. You know, if I had a bad game, they wouldn't say anything. And uh, it was a real honeymoon period for me. So it was a great experience. I was actually really looking forward to going back there because I had a year in my contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lockout wiped that whole thing out. So that was disappointing because it was a a really good experience with a really good group of people.
0: And then following the lockout, you signed a one year deal with the Bruins was really, you know, being a Connecticut kid, having gone to BC was really that the only spot for you to keep playing?
1: Um, No, I think I I knew I definitely wanted to play after the lockout. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was hoping that the Rangers might call and, you know, see if I was interested in coming back, but that never happened. And, so I didn't really feel like traveling. Um, I was used to the East Coast after all the years in New York and playing in Toronto. And, you know, you make a couple West Coast trips and, right. you know, for an East Coast guy, it sounds like a big deal. But right. uh, when you play in the other the other places, like they're, they're traveling like that all the time. Right. I know as you get older and I had a young family that I would rather have been uh, somewhere where the travel was easier. So. The fact that Boston um, wanted me to go there was perfect. Yeah, I didn't really negotiate with anybody else after Boston said that they were interested in having me play there.
0: And it was in- inevitable that your number was going to hang in the garden rafters. But how surreal was that moment?
1: Yeah, it's nervous. It's a nerve wracking time. I, you know, I'm not a big, well, nobody's a big public speaker, and you want to have, uh, express the gratitude and how thankful you are to a lot of people and you want to get it out uh, in the right way. So it was very stressful leading up to it. But again, the Rangers, unbelievable job of taking care of all the ticket requests and you know setting it up. And Jason Vogel was working uh, on all the tickets with me and there were some great people that just said here, let you write down all the names, you know, we have all these different tiered seatings and you tell me put this group in this type of seats, this mm-hmm. group in these seats. And so that was great. You know, it was nerve wracking going down to the locker room and going in the room, but walking out there when everybody's, you know, there to, to listen to what you have to say and to just say, thank you. is. was uh, it was a tough thing. I was very thankful when it was over to really enjoy it be able to see my friends and family. and it, they, We kind of incorporated it into a weekend. Mm-hmm. I believe my night was on a Thursday night mm-hmm. and a lot of friends that came down and family ended up staying and we did a uh, remembrance uh, um, night for one of our friends that had passed away in 9-11 mm-hmm. and we did that on the weekend so we had this big group of people that were celebrating, you know, multiple you know, occasions and remembering, you know, good times with good people, and we were able to share share that all over multiple days. So it wasn't just one night and it was over. We were able to make that uh, two and three night experience.
0: Just think, Espo holding out, holding number two for you, and then to the Garden Rafters.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, you never, you know, you don't. nobody thinks about those things when you're young, but right. uh, you, you look back on it, it's you realize just how fortunate you were.
0: In 2009, you get inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame. How would it feel to be a part of that group?
1: It was great. I didn't know what to think uh, about the Hall of Fame, you know, I, whether I was gonna make it in or or ever get in and some people would tell me oh yeah you're sure you're gonna get in and some people go hey you never know it's just a small group of people that pick uh for the hall of fame and sometimes it's a strong class and some people would say you're eventually gonna get in Mm -hmm. so once i got the call um i believe it was pat quinn that gave me a call Mm -hmm. and uh, said congratulations and i was. Driving to my home, so I pulled over and just uh, sat in the side of the road there for a second. And said, "Wow, that's uh, that's one of those forever, you know, moments that uh, you remember the call and remember that feeling of, of being singled out because you know your career's over. You're three years removed. You're moving on in your life, and now it's a you know a remembrance and another special occasion. So the whole weekend in Toronto was great." They, they do a great job of uh, the, the presentation up there and it was a great class I went in with very classy people and guys that I respected as players. so it was uh, it was a great experience. Was
0: anybody in the car with you when you got the call?
1: No, I was by myself, <laughs> thankfully, but I knew from my time in Toronto that it was uh, a, a Toronto area code 416. <laughs> and, and Yes, exactly. So <laughs> uh, I said, I haven't, I haven't gotten one of these numbers in a while, so I better take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> then you spent some time with MSG Networks, you know, as a studio analyst. That's where we got to work together. And I remember every time you would say something, everybody in the truck would be like, "Ooh, that's so good." Did Did <laughs> did, did you take a liking to that part of the business?
1: You know, I, it, what I found interesting is I liked the team atmosphere again. There's mm-hmm. a good group of people there, and. Everybody was working together, and you know, trying to do the best broadcast you could. And I enjoyed afterwards when, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, I, did, I, I messed up there. Or, did you see the angle I had run there? Or, I couldn't believe I said that." And and just everybody, "Oh, no, you didn't even notice it." You know, everybody's trying to build each other up <laughs> or say, "Yeah, don't, don't let that happen again." And so that was fun. Um, I found it difficult at first trying to. You know, it's it's hard for me to be uh, to say things in a short amount of time that you have. Usually, I like to go into a little more depth and explain things a little more, but it, you got to kind of get to a point quicker. So um, I found that difficult at first, but then I just found I was getting tired at night, <laughs> stay, <laughs> stay, staying up late. Now. <laughs> so then to stay stay motivated to do the post game show and to To all that, I found was the toughest part. I loved watching the game, and I loved talking about the game, but I go, this post-game stuff is starting to wear on
0: me. Right, you're there an hour after the game. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, now you're in an advisor role in the Rangers Hockey Ops Department. Is it good to be back on the organization side of things?
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, it's all because of the group that's there. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the the coaches I either played with or against um, uh, growing up at different times. Chris Drury, I know through the, you know, the U.S. teams, and obviously a Connecticut kid, and uh, you know, watching playing against him. And then uh, Jeff Gordon was at with uh, with me in Boston, so I knew him, and uh, he's a great guy. And then the JD comes back; it's been uh, it's been a seamless fit for him. So there's a lot of good scouts, a lot of good people, and uh, a lot of the staff is the same. Jim Ramsey, the trainers, mm-hmm. uh, Cassio Marks. Like there's a lot of uh, familiarity um, that's always been there. And they're all people that I enjoy being around. So it's fun. You know, I, I'm a different voice or different set of eyes for the coaches. Um, I can meet with the players and, you know, either give them a pat in the back, tell them what I saw that they are doing right, tell them, you know, if they're struggling, you know, what i did when i was struggling how to get out of it just some small things and um you know i don't for the coaching i don't really get into any x's and o's with the players because they're getting coached every day and they don't need to hear it from an outside person they mm-hmm. need to hear more of a, a pat the back and a pick me up and then for the coaching staff it's just you know where i see players fitting and what should be going on and anything I can help, uh, Chris Drury and Gordon with, with looking at, uh, tapes or looking at younger players or doing everything. So it's a good fit for me. They're very, uh, flexible with me on, um, when I'm around so I can still coach my, I still was able to coach my kids in their sports, um, back home. And great. I never, never really went on any of their road trips, but I made, uh, you know, probably 80% of the home games and was able to be around a bunch of practices. And It's been, uh, it's been a great experience.
0: Three-time Olympian, caller trophy winner, two-time Norris trophy winner, Stanley Cup winner, Smythe winner, U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Fame. When you look back on what you've done, what, what comes to mind?
1: Well, the Stanley Cup always right. is the first thing and it's, uh, it's i was you know you look back on your career i only made one finals and you know to win it and to win it in new york and after all those years 54 years and the um, closeness of the team and the closeness that we had with uh, new york city and ranger fans during that time just immediately stands out And, and everything else is great experiences you know, we won a World Cup uh, in 96. It was a big win for a U.S. team, but that's a short amount of time. And, you know, we were we were together probably for six weeks, eight weeks, and, and that's over. So, and individual awards, they're always nice because it means you're contributing to your team, but the team success and being able to share that was uh, by far number one.
0: And what motive, what motivates you on a daily basis now?
1: Uh, excuse me now, but I missed that.
0: So, with all these accomplishments, what, what motivates you on a daily basis now?
1: Well, number one, still to be a good dad, uh-huh. you know, and a, and a good husband. Uh, that's uh, seeing your kids grow up and being good kids. That's what I always say to them. You know, they've, sports, they've been, uh, sometimes they've been in the bottom third skill ways of their teams or been on a JV team, and, uh, but they've always, they're grown up as good kids and, You know, when they get down on themselves or you have to get on them a little bit, you know, I always remind them of that later and everything. I go, hey, you're a good kid, buddy. Just this is what we got to do. You know, we got to get this done. or We got to get back in line. So um, all the other stuff, your your, your friends and, you know, being part of the uh, Rangers and all that uh, definitely um, is enjoyable. It's something that I do because not because I have to, um, because I want to. And so. Um, just the day-to-day, being able to watch your kids um, progress is is the most fun for me.
0: Well, Leachie, I appreciate you taking your time and chatting with us and so many good stories, and hopefully everybody stays safe and well by you, and uh, it was great catching up.
1: Yeah, same to you, Nap. It's good to talk to you. All right, be well. Okay, take care.
0: As great of a hockey player he was, Leachie is ten times the person it was so great catching up with him. On the next episode of Mike Check on Sports, bang, it's the voice of the NBA, Mike Breen. Take care, brush your hair.